HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hi there, I'm Greg from Kapow. Visit us at kapow.com to check out our unique collection of everyday reusable products designed to help you do more with less. C-U-P-P-O-W dot com. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, May 25th. This is the 107th episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guests are two former music execs whose website has become a trusted source for restaurant reviews and eats. (laughs) And I will introduce them in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip. Then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to form great partnerships. Identify people and businesses that fit with your mission and find ways to collaborate. Working with those who complement your skill set and naturally coincide with your beliefs will not only bring out your best game, but it will increase your chances of creating memorable and effective brands. So partner up wisely. That's my tip today. Now, I'm thrilled to have both of my guests here in the studio. They are Andrew Steinthal and Chris Stang, the co-founders of The Infatuation, restaurant reviews for the people. Their website and mobile app started in 2009 simply as two guys who wanted to help their friends not only find great restaurants, but the right restaurant to suit their needs on a particular evening. Andrew, who is in charge of partnerships, likes cereal, ice cream, and sneakers way more than the average person. And Chris, the CEO, spends most of his time writing and is the creator of a fake dinosaur that gives you restaurant recommendations. So welcome. Put it on our tombstones. That's it. That's all you need to know about us. <laughs> these are these are um, yeah. These might have been my favorite uh, bios to read, even <laughs> though we could have gone much more serious. And oh, I would like to talk about your past before the infatuation sure. because you 
did have incredible titles in uh, the music industry. So, yeah, no, I mean, we like the uh, less serious, more fun route. That's kind of why we're here, I guess. You know. Yes. So, um, so well, thanks for coming out. Thanks and- for having us. It's really interesting to see all the people that are just like turning up and day drinking in at Roberta's on a Wednesday. What do people do in Bushwick? They just hang out and get tattoos and there's, drink. Well, there's a bunch of margaritas being consumed back in the back here. I was I was noting for the show that. There wasn't anyone in in this area right now, but typically, or a lot of times, it's full. So, yeah. well, it's um, nice out. So there's people outside. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what four o'clock on Wednesday these people are not working is what they're <laughs> doing, which is great. Yeah, no, it's fabulous being in the back of Roberta. So, well, thanks for having us. Well, my pleasure. So, okay, so you're two music guys. How did you meet, and uh, what were you doing before you started the infatuation? Andrew tells the uh, how we met story better than anyone. Uh, we met. We were both music directors at our respective college radio stations when we were in college. I uh, was at WICB in Ithaca. So these, you know, these this whole radio situation. These contraptions back, are familiar bring, to bringing us. Back bringing memories. back fond memories. And and Stang was at KCSU Colorado State, and we both ran the. We were both music directors, and we talked to all these people in the industry all the time. As they like back then, like you people tried to get their records played on college radio, which was like they actually had staffs of people and, and like yeah, <laughs> they got paid to work <laughs> to do that. And uh, we both were in town for a CMJ music convention in New York City when we were probably like the year 2000 or so. And uh, we both got the same call from a guy that we both knew that was like, hey, I've got a couple tickets to TRL today. Would you like to come? And uh, this was like... Carson Daly's Heyday right. and Destiny's Child was the guest. Chubby Carson Daly. Chubby Carson Daly. I remember. Yeah, and and we met on set at TRL. They sat us next to each other right behind Carson and we were immediately removed at the first commercial break because we weren't freaking out enough. But uh, we we became fast friends. You know, the music college radio industry was, you know, like I don't want to say nerds, but it's like you know the typical like indie music kids, and we were more the most we were the more social of the group, so we sort of connected because we were both like, oh, cool, yeah, and then we beers, yeah, we proceeded to go drink a lot of beers and decided that we were going to attempt to take over the music business together when we got out of college, and the rest is kind of history. Well, you both spent about a dozen years in the music industry. I mean, I had here. Your last titles, Andrew, VP of PR at Warner Brothers Records, and Chris, VP of Marketing at Atlantic Records, which are sound like really amazing titles and, and you know, big positions. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, look, you we, did well. Yeah, we did. We, we were both, you know, we were both very driven, but also I think like, you know, those were both our dream jobs to some extent. So once you kind of get in there and then, you know, just like anything else, you just start to start to put one foot in front of the other. And we ended up both at companies and uh, working for people that we really loved and working with great artists and doing, you know, great things and, you know, loved our jobs, but, um, also had this other thing that was de- developing and, you know, starting to become something that took a lot of our time and, um, you know, eventually let us out of it. But yeah, we, we, we had, we both had great runs in the music industry for sure. Yeah. We always wanted to do something together. Like we wanted to have something that was our own. Like we had the entrepreneurial spirit, mm-hmm. like from day one, you know, when we first met, we were like, yeah, let's, let's do this. You know, we, we didn't know what this was going to be. We knew we were going to, we wanted to be in music business. And, you know, I think both of us from a really young age were kind of on that path, um, in, in music. And that was really what we, 
what we wanted to do. And then, you know, you kind of got in the music business a little bit. And our first initial was like thing was like, oh, we're going to start a record label. And then you kind of get in the record label side of business. And you're like, ooh, this is a horrible idea. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, 2000. Now we're in publishing. <laughs> Even better. No. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, we just kind of ascended the ranks of the music business, kind of living parallel lives. We wound up working for the same parent company and, you know, very much had, we worked, we didn't really work together, you know, in the music business, but we had similar, you know, we... Very small industry. So yeah. we kind of, we worked for the same parent company, Warner Music Group. I worked for Atlantic, Andrew worked for Warner Brothers. But I mean, between those two companies, by the time we were done, it was only probably, you know, 300 people altogether. So yeah. we were both, you know, very much in the same circles, basically, in the same circle or the same company. And what so. was interesting is that, like, you know, Warner and Atlantic weren't necessarily, like, they were under the same roof, but they weren't really, you know, they didn't do a lot of stuff together ever. And, like, my relationship with him actually led me to have a lot of really good relationships with people who worked at his label, which then led my label to be like, hey, can you go get some info from them, right? Which right. was really interesting because there was nobody else who could actually talk to, like, both labels regularly, you know, like, on side. And it was, it was just an interesting how it all kind of unfolded. Yeah, absolutely. So on the side, you were doing, you started doing res- or restaurant reviews or people were coming to you. Yeah. You were the go, you've been the go-to for. I think we were bloggers is what people called us, okay. but I don't think we ever thought of it that way. Um, yeah, we just started, I mean, literally it, it, the whole thing was born from the, the, the idea just that, you know, we, we didn't, we sort of didn't find anything we related to particularly. And, you know, in terms of like trying to just straight up decide where to go eat and find out about new stuff and. You know, sort of like uh, we just kind of felt that there was an opportunity for something to exist for people like us, meaning people that weren't the, you know, advanced foodie or like, you know, sort of like um, elite consumer of food media. Right. So, you know, we just knew a lot of people like us that were very interested in eating great restaurants and having great experiences, but probably didn't know what Severe was or have a Bon Appetit subscription. And so we just kind of thought, let's start writing some restaurant reviews and do it in a way that ideally is relatable and funny and fun and, you know, um, sort of pointed at solving a problem for the right, you know, sort of circumstance, right? So differentiating between where to go on a first date with someone versus where to take your boyfriend or girlfriend of a long time because they're different needs, so to speak. So, so yeah, it really just happened. 2009, we just published a handful of restaurant reviews on a poorly named blog called immaculateinfatuation.com which um you know I, we, once we put it out there it pretty quickly started talking back to us and that was all we really needed like once that happened and people started sort of reaching out and saying they liked it then that really kicked our sort of both kicked us into gear in terms of like okay great let's go get this thing and like let's let's build it and see what we can make of it you know right so you're doing it on the side and then in 2014 you went you went full you left your jobs. Is that is that right? Pushed all the chips okay. in, into the middle of the table. Yeah. yeah. And here we are. Yeah, yeah, we did it for five years. I mean, we, we spent mornings, nights, days constantly, like, building this thing on the side for five years, you know, while we had full-time jobs. Thank you, Warner Music Group, for giving us that luxury. You know, they were really – our bosses were all really supportive of it. And, you know, it, it, it actually made, I think, both of us almost better at our jobs in a way because – all of a sudden we had an asset that other people wanted access to and you know they knew that we were the people to turn to for some information and intel and i was you know i had to say this a lot like i you know i would always try and book my bands on like late night with jimmy fallon or kimmel or whatever 
like that. And it's always, it's usually a one way street of like you asking for something from somebody else. And then when people find out that you're the resource for all the best Intel for restaurants, they start hitting you up being like, Oh yeah, by the way, I need a restaurant to go to before Bowery ballroom tonight. What, what do you got for me? And it's like, ah, now I have something you want too, which was great. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. And having a PR marketing background, being able to do PR marketing now for yourself and what you're promoting. I mean, you know, You've, you've done very well at that, um, getting the brand out there. And I've always been a fan. I mean, I, I yeah, think... you're I, OG. <laughs> I you love were, it. You are. You were one of the first... You were super early adopter. Yeah. Well... Love that. I'm proud of that. I've, yes. I've always found your reviews to be um, a good... A, uh, whether I, I, I usually agree with them, and I find it's it is like my friend giving me advice and a place to go, which I right. think is the goal. So I, the goal. I was a fan just naturally of what you were doing and the situational <laughs> type of rec- recommendations. And you even have one like what I do. My, I call it solo dining. You do dining solo. Yeah. So, course. but uh-huh. it's like you you give people. Um, uh, the categories of things they're looking for, you know, in a restaurant, and um, it's very useful. Thank so. you. Yeah, I mean, we were. I definitely think there's a lot to be said just for the fact that we had some mar- some marketing and promotional backgrounds because I think it's sort of. We always joke there's no 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 better way to learn how to do marketing for free than to work in the music industry. Um, but uh, yeah, we we definitely just. I mean, we really felt passionate about what we were doing and felt like there was a, an audience for it, and that kept proving to be true every month that went by, and so that. That was all we needed in terms of motivation, and then we just really put our heads down and, and built as much as we could for five years. And like Andrew said, we were lucky that our company and the people at the company were supportive and enthusiastic about it, and that afforded us the time and, and freedom that we needed to grow it. And you know, then the stars kind of aligned, and we just felt okay, like we're ready to go, and went full time in April of 2014, so two years ago, which is it's crazy. You know, it feels like a long, feels time. like a decade, but um, but like, yeah. It was a. It's that part was an interesting chapter, and now we're sort of in a different chapter. But it's all been, it's all been pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, want to dive into more about where you're at now and how you got there. So we're gonna take a little break and come back. Stay with us. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. cups every year a lot of those cups will still be around long after you're dead kind of dark i know but i'm greg from kapow and we decided to do something about it we created the only glass travel mug that's 100 percent u.s made you can check it out alongside our complete line of everyday reusables at kapow.com c-u-p-p-o-w.com Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guests today are Andrew Steinthal and Chris Stang, the co-founders of The Infatuation, restaurant reviews for the people. 
So let's talk how you've grown the infatuation um, with partnerships and what's been your business model. Like, what's how have you gone about dollar this? bills? I was hoping you could tell us. <laughs> I was hoping you could tell me. <laughs> no, we definitely. We definitely. Young Steinthal here is. Yeah. Getting things done. Look, from day one, we've always looked at brand partnerships in two ways. In the beginning, it was like we just wanted to align with the right brands and use them as marketing. Um, but even from the early days, we were trying to hustle them for money, you know? And like, we always knew that if we built a strong enough brand, uh, we'd be worth something, right? And like, we knew from the beginning that we were never going to be this like, content monster news site and try and compete with like these massive websites that do tons of page views and run their business off the back end of banner ads and video and like all this all these things that you know we as a two-person squad we're not going to be able to really compete with initially you know initially <laughs> well, well not, initially like at least yeah. you know even just thinking about trying to build something like that was there's so many other things like that you know so we want well and also just to the not to get too sidetracked but we just also knew that like for what we did which is like you know write restaurant reviews and try and lead people to experiences and try and have like a level of trust behind that that volume is sort of the enemy of that in terms of creating great content there's just no way you can create 10 posts a day of great content and so i think we were always a little bit wary of getting into that that game because i you know we would sit there and talk about it like what how in the world do you do restaurant reviews and guides at a, at a pace like that and not lose the quality you know by the nature of needing to meet volume so but it was always you know even to andrew's point like i don't even know that we were that prescient in the beginning but we definitely just to, the biggest thing for us has always been just build a brand and then figure out what how that translates into value for our readers and our you know users and for then yeah. brand partners yeah and look at we you know cut to now like we're, we do big brand partnerships with American Express and Samsung and Bravo and Jameson and Budweiser and you know we work with really big brands and basically you know we do content for the web content for social content for you know any of the any of the platforms you know we we are powered by content we are you know we're a next generation content company sort of but you know we we have all these different areas that we deliver content through you know obviously instagram's a huge huge place for us we have you know now almost 20 accounts that we run and we do like almost 80 million impressions a month across all of them um and it's it's (laughs) a lot and like we're doing a ton of stuff with snapchat and you know what we really do with brands is like we're really good at understanding what's going to work for our audience using our voice via web, via social, and then also creating an experience offline for a brand. So, you know, it's kind of a combination of a bunch of things that's rooted in content, brought amplified via social, and then brought to life via some form of experiential. Like a good example um, is like American Express, where you have a big deal with that we are basically on tour going around to nine different markets around the country doing um, dinners. We just did one in Chicago this week where we took over a restaurant that we really like, uh, bought it out for the night and put 60 people in the room and created a really fun food, drink, photo booth experience type of situation for people to come and 
share around the idea of Amex Gold and the fact that they're now accepting double points at restaurants and that this restaurant's great that we really like and talk about our journey to get there, talk about the chef's journey to get there and like how it all ties together and has a really good narrative and brings all the right people together. We put everybody in the, in the room and it's a really fun experience both for everybody involved, for us and also for the brand. So, and then like that's all tied in with like a piece of content in each market that they really want to be supportive of the celebrations. They want to be involved in that. And we did a whole guide to where to celebrate in Chicago and then we support it with social. So, you know, it's, it's integrated partnerships that are kind of three tiered a lot of the times, but uh, our, our general business model is content. Yeah, and I think like you can sort of use all these keywords to classify what it is and what you know what we do, and we get asked a lot of, uh, about it a lot. But I think like the thing that when you really just sort of like step back from it, it's just that we we know how to be creative and we know how to go and you know sit in front of a brand and say you know let us work within the context that we know how to work within and let's come up with ideas that we know will relate to our audience and it may look a lot different for American Express than it does for Samsung than it does for Budweiser. But at the end of the day, we just know that we are very good at walking in the door, you know, sitting down in front of a a company and saying, here's how we think we can push your message across, you know, to our audience, which is a very engaged, um, you know, desirable audience. And so that's, that's worked really well for us. And as we've grown, it's only gotten better, obviously, but we were to Andrew's point. I mean, we were doing, you know, we were trying to get Whole Foods to sponsor an event, you know, in 2012 or 2010, I guess, actually. So we've been of the mind that we could make it work from a brand partnership model for really since the beginning. Like I've been hustling on Amex for five years before we got an actual deal with them, you know, like just trying to get in the door because that was such a dream partner for us and made so much sense. Um, but I think, when, you know, to Chris's point, also our audience, like our audience is a very valuable audience that you can't really touch in food by via any other media brand like we have a young female leaning millennial audience that Mm -hmm. is you know that is not necessarily the like super foodie audience it's more of like the you know the regulars out there you know and and that's a good you know point about us too is like you know we don't represent the industry we don't represent the chef community or whatever We, we represent the average diner you know and that's the perspective that we have on all of the content that we that we do and we just try and be useful for the everyday diner so that you know our audience is getting a lot out of our content and we take that same strategy with all our branded stuff is like we just want to make sure that whatever we're doing whether it's on social or on the web or, or in real life is something that like people are going to come to read or experience and be like damn that was awesome you know and, and they would want to use it yeah no it's it's awesome and everyone now is taking photos of their food i mean the the millennial generation they're all into food so oh, you're your your yeah, audience we started is, that. yeah well <laughs> that, that's so that brings me to my question the eats yeah. with five well e's done. for people who don't know what i'm talking about eats. yeah we usually take it an octave lower yeah but that's i was cool. going higher i, like, I, like I don't know i don't no, know I like for it. me it was working higher we'll do like a harmonizing thing <laughs> we could yeah so for people who don't know, this is a hashtag with five E's spelling eats. And it's, did you had, have any idea it would no. blow up as big as it has? No. I mean, no, it was, it was actually really phenomenal the kind of the way it all played out. But I, we just, when it, we were, we were just trying to create something that we could, you know, we always looked at Instagram, even in the, as it, you know, it was pretty early on, but we always looked at it as a place that we could build community rather than just, we never wanted it to be a one-way conversation. We didn't want to just like post photos and have people like them or comment on them. We wanted to make it a discussion and we wanted to build community on the platform. And so we started out by doing 
just little hashtags that we would do contests around. So like one of them was like still summer and it was September and we were like, take pictures of summery food that you're still eating. And that would work really well. And people would sort of tag stuff. And we, we really saw that as a, an effective way to just engage with people on the platform. And then, so as we were doing more of it, we just realized that we needed one hashtag that we could use to sort of galvanize the community around. Um, and it was a pretty easy discussion about it. It certainly couldn't be like infatuation grams or like, you know, something to, <laughs> it could have, but it could, it should, it could have been, but it should not have been. And, and I think that was the biggest thing is we were just like, you know, what's something that, what's something that people actually have fun using mm-hmm. and, and eats is like, just like a silly sort of like, you know, our whole thing was just like, let's, let's make it very clear that we don't want people to take this too seriously because it's photos of food and half of them are terrible. Right. So, and I think that's honestly what, what hit a nerve with people is that it was, it's fun. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and, and we would then, you know, we also worked really hard at making sure that it, that it was a community and every, you know, even up until we had like a couple hundred thousand uses of the hashtag, we were still in there liking and commenting on people's photos that used it. The amount of time that we put into liking, commenting, personalizing, really trying to make that connection. Cause a lot of time what was happening is that like you, people would start seeing the hashtag, they'd start using it and they would have no idea who we were. So we would l- interact with all the people we spent I mean, hours right. a day, just yeah. like, and it's, it's time consuming, it's time consuming, yeah. but like, it's so that's, worth it. that's the secret sauce of like, you know, people talk about building a brand and connecting with an audience. And like, if you're willing to put in the work and you're ready to have a conversation with people, it all comes down to building that community. And like, that's why, you know, look, we met you on Twitter, like in 2009, like we definitely did. Yeah, we And, did. you know, we met a lot of people on Twitter who became our real life friends and like, that was, it all started on Twitter. We spent hours on Twitter hopping into conversations when we were brand new with anybody who was talking about restaurants that we were fans of. We would like tweets. We would jump in conversations like, I love Momofuku pork bun too. Like whatever, mm-hmm. you know, like whatever. Yeah. Like we would just get in there and like really start engaging with people. And that was the beginning because, you know, ultimately people just want to be talked to sometimes, you know, and like, yeah, I just want to be a part of something yeah. too. Yeah. So like to, as a brand to like offer that two-way conversation has been huge for us and we really still try and focus on that as much as we can but but ultimately to answer your question i don't think i mean i i I think we knew that we were building a community but you know now there's like two and a half million people that have used you know it's been used two and a half million times and i somebody came up to us not that long ago and was like oh you guys started the eats thing i thought that was just like tbt which is so crazy that that sort of has become right it's become part of the language of the platform and Mm -hmm. That's really cool, but but for us, what ended what it ended up doing was it made us a globally recognized entity rather than just like this New York thing, uh, because that all happened really. We blew up on Instagram before we even had content in any other cities, so it actually afforded us an opportunity to start to plan our growth because we were we had people following us and engaging with us from around the world. So once we started thinking through, like okay, let's start launching new cities people would send in applications and resumes just because they knew us from Instagram. And that was really, really powerful and um, definitely, you know, game changing for us. Let's talk a bit about Tex-Rex, the dinosaur. Sure. Because that's your, that's... uh, That's the next frontier. Yeah, yeah, put in your own words. Yeah, it's the next frontier. I mean, that was, look, this has been another, for us, example of, um, you know, the power of community, but, uh, the text tracks idea really happened. It's funny now because messaging is such a hot topic and everybody's building bots and all that stuff. But, um, you know, it was like April, March and April of last year. And we just started talking about like being frustrated with the newsfeed algorithm for Instagram and Twitter for what it's worth. There's not a lot of average people on Twitter anymore, just talking to each other. And so, and Instagram obviously is really powerful, but 
we just sort of had this desire to reconnect with our core users and just have a better like line, you know, a channel into our most dedicated audience that, you know, read our emails, you know, but email is not a good two way conversation in that sense. Right. So really wanted to reestablish something that we thought could be another place to have a direct line to our audience and didn't really know what that would look like, but did have an indi- sort of, I always had this sort of instinct that like, you know, we have all this content that's tagged very well, right? So every review, there's a thousand reviews in New York and every review is tagged with a neighborhood, a, lo- uh, a cuisine, and then a couple of what the restaurant's quote unquote perfect for, which turns out to be pretty queryable information, right? So um, messaging just seemed to be an interesting way that we could not only, you know, reconnect or, or connect deeper with our audience, but also then provide this interesting service that's on almost like on-demand search. And so not having any idea how to do that really, or if anybody would want it, but feeling like, you know, had a hunch, uh, I went and bought an iPhone at the Apple store and <clears throat> connected it to iCloud and then, you know, had someone drop a dinosaur and put it in our newsletter and launched Textrex, not having any clue kind of what we were going to do and just sort of hoping that I, you know, we sort of thought one of two things would happen. Either a ton of people would want it immediately and then we would figure out how to build it or like make it happen. Or nobody would want it and we would call it a marketing stunt and walk away. But within two hours, we had like 5,000 people signed up for it on the waiting list and realized that we were very poorly prepared for that. But um, we've since, you know, figured out how to do it. And we have a huge audience of people in New York that love it. And we've just the passion around it is incredible. And um, it really just opened our eyes up to the fact that people want to interact with us like this Mm -hmm. and that. You know, sometimes it is like what easier way to find something than just to text some, someone and say, hey, I'm in Minneapolis or, you know, talking bigger picture, but I'm, I'm in a city and I don't know it that well. Tell me where to go. And um, that idea of on-demand search has been really powerful. And so we, we, we came at it from the perspective of it has to be it has to be people. Right. Like we didn't not that we could have built some sort of like, you know, um, restaurant recommending robot on our own but we just really thought like this if this is going to be this is going to feel like us if it's going to be on brand it has to be fun and personable and you know useful but you know it has to feel like a friend like you were even that's always been our sort of main core value is that we just want to feel like something that people relate to and connect to so yeah, now we have a huge team of contractors that basically respond to people as they text in. You're always, whenever you're texting with Textrex, you are talking to a person on the other end. Um, and we have, you know, a platform that helps us manage the workflow and we are able to serve a ton of people at once. And it's really changed. Again, it's changed our company and it's changed the way that we are delivering content to people. And it represents a big, you know, the future for us in a lot of ways. So it's it's a, it's a, it's a very... Um, it's early days in the text rec story and there's a lot we still have to figure out, but we're, you know, we just, we have something we know that people want and use. I think you, are I've you used on it? it. I've, uh, yes, I, I forget I have it. I should use it more, but I remember I was in Dumbo. That's we gotta get, no. we gotta get better about that. Well, I was in Dumbo and I was like, I was, it was a spontaneous move too. It was the mm-hmm. weekend train brought me, I don't know. I was, I was just, it was, I was on a spontaneous afternoon and all of a sudden I was like, where should I eat? And I texted it and it was like, gave me a couple of rest- it, him or her, the it, person, him, her, the dinosaur. I texted yeah, the I dinosaur. Yeah. The dinosaur got back to me right away with Good. recommendations. It was very cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it really is like we, it's really cool because we, people are hilarious. Like they, like we'll just get people texting us being like, what's up? And you're like, hey, like, yeah. what's going on? Nothing. <laughs> but it's, right. I, I think it's the just, friend. 
Yeah, and, and we try to we really try to make it fun. You know, people attack. We we sort of at the beginning decided that when people were texting us that we were just going to be as close to a friend as possible. So people would text in and be like, hey, I'm looking for like a great healthy restaurant that's not a chain that's cheap in the middle of Midtown. And we'd be like, so are we. It doesn't exist. <laughs> and at first people would be like, wait, what? But that's the stuff that would always earn their trust. And so, um, you know, now we have people that have planned their breakups on it. They've planned their proposals on it. They have, you know, tried to yeah. tried to date it. They have, you know, you name it. But it's it's been really cool. And it's just been a, it's been a real... Um, it's a little wild on Friday nights. Yeah, it does. But it's, it's again, so anyway, it, it became this place that we, we have a better understanding of our yeah. audience now from it. And it, it's just been really cool. And um, we feel like there's a lot of opportunity to, to grow it and to continue to yeah. evolve the business, you know, in that way. I see that. Okay, let me ask you my question from last week. I had on Herb Carlitz. He's the CEO and the founder of Carlitz & Company. He is also the co-founder of Harlem Eat Up, which was this past weekend. So he wants to know where you fall with stubborn chefs. Chefs who insist that the customer has to eat things their way and aren't open to any changes. He also noted that he's a big fan of what you're doing. What's up, Herb? Thanks. Um, I don't know that we have like a general like uh, position on stubborn chefs. I think that the more that... I mean, we certainly are not the kind of people to tell chefs what they should or shouldn't be doing. But I think that we've just learned, especially through like text tracks, like you just have to like pay attention to what people want. So if people are in your restaurant and saying like, we want this more than once, you should probably pay attention. But, uh, you know, to each their own. Yeah, okay. I, got, I got nothing. All right. I, look, I think cool. like, look, you, if you're at the point okay. in your career yeah. in life where you're running your own restaurant in New York City, you are well within your rights to tell people they can't take the... Uh, the uh, blue cheese the, off the burger, the foie gras foam off the thing you put foam on, but yeah, but uh, but I do think it's just we we've just found that like it's super important to listen to people because they will tell you what they want, you know. And people are picky. Yeah. They are picky. in general, like you yeah. know, obviously a lot of people. There is a certain segment of the population that's down to eat anything and and be whatever, but there are way more people who are more selective about what they eat, especially with all these different diets going on right now, and like. Yeah. Just people in general who are picky too. Like I'm a picky eater. Like I don't, there's a lot of stuff that I don't like. And I've got to the point where I, I will not ask for many substitutions anymore ever pretty much, but like, I'll just avoid the stuff that I don't want and keep it moving. But there's a lot of people who aren't like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm the former. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're going to take another break and come back. We're going to play my speed round game. Talk some industry news. This is only industry on heritage radio network. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guests today are Andrew Steinthal and Chris Stang of The Infatuation. It's time for my speed round game. What this is is I name a couple things, either or type situation, and you just pick your preference. Great. Great. Here we go. Eat in or eat out? 
out. What does that mean? Okay, out, yeah. <laughs> like you go out like to dinner? Like in where? Like, like in, in a restaurant? Apart- yeah, in your apartment. Is that, well, is eating in a restaurant in or out? That's out? In. Out. Yeah, eating out. Is like eating in out. is eating at home, oh. yeah. I think. I thought we were talking like dine in or take out. We'll anyway, take out. I don't, don't want to The beauty this. of this game is you can interpret it how you, right, how yeah. you want. So out. that's a new one. I Let's love it. Out. 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 Okay. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Mocktail. Oh. Wow. Uh, I'm a wine guy. Yeah, I'm going to go with a beer. Tasting menu or a la carte? Tasting menu. Likewise. Okay. <laughs> Give me all the Depend, tastes. Depends on how much money That's like, true. we have. Like, That's true. It's not like we're out there eating tasting menus. You're working with Amex. I'm, I'm, yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's going into business <laughs> yeah. here. Yeah. Okay. Small plates or large plates? Large uh, plates. Large. Let's go large. Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Agreed. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Regardless, doesn't matter. Yeah. Money's money. Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, or Facebook. Snaps. I'm having a good time on Snapchat these days. Yeah. I was following your Air Airbnb uh, marathon. Uh, yeah. Oh, you did? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it was cool. Because I'm I'm, I'm, I, I'm new on Snapchat. It's fun. Once you, it takes a second to get into it, but once you get yeah. into it, Snapchat's really fun. Welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, for Andrew, Golden Grams or Honey Bunch of Oats? Oof, that's tough. I mean, Golden Gram, I've been on a huge Golden Grams kick lately, like just crushing boxes. <laughs> and uh, I'm on, a, I, yeah. Like Honey Bunches of Oats is like all the time. Golden Grams is special occasion. There's just been a lot of special occasions lately. I love the passion for cereal that you have. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Chris. Charcuterie glove or seahorse sashimi? Oh man, do not eat seahorse. It is terrible. <laughs> Never glove. had it. Oh, it's really the okay. just terrible. terrible. That's a great underfinger reference. Yeah, it's yeah. well done. Thank you. It was a great article. Thank you. <laughs> Two more: cheese plate or dessert? A dessert. Cheese plate. Manhattan or Brooklyn? Manhattan. Manhattan. All right, that's the game. That's the game. Yeah. Do we win? Did we win? You win. Oh great! You won. You oh, won. So excited. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's a winner. Do we, do we win a tasting menu at Roberta's? Mm-hmm. We'll see if I can work that out. Sweet. We're drinking a mocktail outside. <laughs> okay, we came to Roberta's after we ran the Brooklyn Half Marathon this weekend. We've now been here twice in the last week, which yeah. is... It's, it's a good place to be. Yeah. Okay, so industry news. We're a little short on time. I don't know. Maybe we'll talk about this one. The Open for Business by Open Table. I don't know if you saw this, that yeah. they're, they're, they're testing out in Chicago... Um, to provide that you can book seats at the bar. So this is an article on their blog um, by Olivia Terenzio, and basically it's it's that that their reservation system they're they're, they're making available at restaurants that you can reserve bar seats. So I that. I'm very against that personally. Really? I mean, I, I love sitting at the bar. No, me too. But I think like the the thing the thing about I mean, listen, great if these restaurants make more money that way, wonderful. But like the thing about the bar is that that's the one like access point you can have if you can't get into a restaurant, you can go try and hit the bar and so if that becomes then also like unavailable real estate that's a bummer because there's plenty of amazing restaurants that my first meal in them was just rolling up to the bar and so like upland the first time i went to upland i just sat at the bar i got you know waited a little bit got you know sat at the bar had an amazing meal and then you know that would that wouldn't have maybe been so easy had it yeah an open table when i initially saw it i was excited as someone who dined solo a lot i thought it was really cool that Mm -hmm. because i loved sitting at the bar um but then i had the second thought of being well it's what about all the walk-ins and being yeah. accessible well, ha- so have you ever been to yeah. a restaurant in which the bar is booked like it's always a bu- i've done that before i've walked into a restaurant 
And I've thought like, oh, great, bar seats. And they're like, no, 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 sir. Those are reserved. And then yeah. you're kind of like, well, that's stupid. Well, seems maybe like it's a limited it. amount. And it seems like that might make you lose money, too, because then you're walking out of that restaurant not even buying a drink to hang out. Maybe. I mean, the thing in that article I thought was interesting, it was like, if you're going to then sort of like book that as a, as a seat, at the, as it was any other seat in the restaurant, like, can you still deliver whatever the diner's expectation is at the bar. I personally, like, have always loved eating at the bar more than... Because I just think bartenders are, like, great, and they're usually really good at dealing with people. And But some people may not be really ready for... Like, maybe you don't even... You're not even super aware that you book two seats at the bar, then you get there, and you're like, wait a minute. I'm, right. I'm by the door. This is terrible or whatever. So, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if that actually works. I have a hard time believing it would be super successful here, but who well, knows? I'm no expert. Yeah. We'll see. I think they said so far it was going well, but they're just testing it right now yeah. in a couple of restaurants. So, okay. Um, before we take another break, I'm just gonna give a little shout out to Heritage Radio Network because we got our first national coverage on TV this week on CBS This Morning. It was an episode titled "Podcast Document: America's Obsession with Food." It's a great segment. Nice. Um, you can find it. You can Google it. You can find it on our Facebook pages. And um, just congratulations. It was really cool. What up, Charlie Rose? Thanks for the love. <laughs> yeah, no, it was really, really great segment. Um, you know, so congratulations to, to us. To yeah. Radio. Okay, we're going to take one more break. I'm going to do my solo dining experience when we come back. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience, which this week is at Agern. Here's the rundown. The location, 89 East 42nd Street in Grand Central Terminal's Vanderbilt Hall, New York City. The, the concept, a season-driven restaurant featuring farmed and wild ingredients from the New York region and honoring techniques and flavors rooted in Nordic cuisine. The owner, Danish restaurateur Klaus Meyer, who is the co-founder of Copenhagen's Noma and has been largely credited as the founder of the New Nordic Movement. The chefs, executive chef Gunnar Gislason, who's formerly of Dill in Iceland, and chef de cuisine Joseph Yardley, formerly of Acme in New York City. So why did I go? Because I went because this is a highly anticipated new restaurant would give me a taste for new Nordic Scandinavian fare and Noma, which is currently number three in the world's 50 best restaurant list without leaving New York City. And I was then thinking after I did this, this might be a little bit like underfinger too. I was going to say, <laughs> sounds like it. So my experience, I went as a walk-in on the early side of Friday night. I got a seat at the bar. Uh, the menu is pretty big. There's a la carte choices and two tasting menus. I went a la carte. I asked the bartender for some recommendations, and um, I had the opportunity to chat with the GM, Katie Bell. There was Lavina Lee, who I know, who's the hostess there, and Chef Gunnar I also saw. And I also did my first solo dining Snapchat while I was there. Nice. So, Yeah, but my thing with it is it disappears. That's my, you got to talk to me. You can download it, though. You I can. did, but it's like. But there's freedom in that. 
Yeah, but Just now, it, but now I'm fly. saying if you wanted to see it, like you can't. Yeah, but you'll do more. Oh uh, yeah, I know. Okay. Continuing on. <laughs> so what did I get? I had the bitter salad with preserved blackberry, almonds, and havgas cheese, and the cod with potatoes, fennel, and nasturtium. There was also wonderful complimentary house bread and butter. My take, the bitter salad was not something I typically would order. It was lovely, nothing bitter about it. The creamy cheese was a nice balance with the greens, which were actually purple. And the cod was perfectly cooked and a nice balance of flavors. I definitely recommend the... The salad and the cod was, I'd recommend it too, but the salad, definitely. The ambiance. The space was beautiful, simplistic yet contemporary with pale woods and dangling string light fixtures. There's a small chef's area, which is the focal point of the room and the first thing you see when you enter, which I thought was cool. I think this is perfect for dinner with friends or colleagues before your commute home. Interesting tidbits. Agord means acorn in Danish which was the Vanderbilt family symbol seen throughout Grand Central Terminal. Opening soon adjacent to the restaurant is the Great Northern Food Hall, which Gunnar gave me a tour of after my meal. Personal fun fact, I met Gunnar a few years ago at the Roots Conference at the Chef's Garden in Ohio. This is his NYC debut. The cost was $54. That's not including tax, but it is including gratuity. This is a no-tipping restaurant. Would I go back? Yes, I would like to try one of the tasting menus. Their website is acornrestaurant.com. Interesting. I never heard of that. Me either. I'm like, we're, we're now out, you of have. Out, of the, out of the mix. Yeah. you got to listen to All in the Industry. I thought we were yeah, done yeah. with having, like, yeah. there's more people involved with Noma opening restaurants in New York City still. I mean. This is a big one. This They've is been like talking actually, about this a while. This is the actual guy from Noma opening The actual owner. So all the, the other ones before this have been fake. Mm, yeah, I mean, I think they might have the, been chefs or sous chefs that worked there, but this is actually the the owner. This is the dude. This is the real guy. This is the real. This is the real deal. That's awesome. I'm gonna, we check that yeah, out. Yeah, I enjoyed it, and I do. I thought the space was was really nice. So. Cool. All right. Yeah, well, it's on the hit list. We need to hit up Chef Paulson and go for a trip. Yeah, <laughs> he's busy. He's very busy. Okay, let's do the final question. So next week, my guest is Chef Adam Leonte of the Bread Lab which is a test kitchen, classroom, and milling facility devoted to the final food frontier, grain. He's actually located right down the block here in Bushwick, too. Um, so, Andrew and Chris, what, what shall, shall we ask Adam? Final frontier. Why is huh? grain the final frontier yeah. of food? I, I saw that on, yeah, that's a good question. That's the, that is the question. I'm, that's, I'm terrified. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, I, I'll ask him. Find out, please. Okay. That's a good name, though. Ask him if, if his business is improving because avocado toast is so huge. I will ask him that too. And how's your Instagram at Avocado Toast? Yeah. It's growing rapidly. Yeah, very fast. Oh, that's we just it, launched impressive it. that you have that one. Yeah, it's a, it. that is actually the Instagram final frontier. Yeah, that is, that's avocado our last toast. one. We're done. Well, I don't know if this avocado toast is going to last. Like it's all going to collapse in on itself. Here's the thing about avocado toast, though. I kind of love it. Does that make me really basic I and a horrible person? No, like, I keep. I find myself ordering it constantly now, and I, I just really like it. I like it too, but I always feel like this is something I could really easily do at yeah, home. Yeah, I make it at home. For, you know, I don't for, tend to order it out all that much because I make it yeah, at home. I feel you, but it's not like expensive. It's expensive compared to buying an avocado and a, and yeah, having a slice a, of bread. Yeah, yeah. Any kind any kind of cooking <laughs> for me is difficult. Like every time I buy an avocado, but what about I smashing? You can smash, and that's terrible, all you're doing. But I'm just not good at it. All right. I'd rather just eat somebody else's. See, it's pay. the final frontier. This is it. This is where we. This is what it all, all led right, up to. I'm going to challenge, challenge it with and it. And I bet you're right. 
Okay, and that's the show. Great. Thank, Thank you very much. For Thank us. you guys for coming out Anytime. here. It's yeah. a pleasure to have you out, talk to you. I will continue to watch. See you on the internet. Continue to eat and continue to text Rex and all the above. Thank you. So my guests today has, have been Andrew Steinthal and Chris Dang, the co-founders of The Infatuation, restaurant reviews for the people. Their website is theinfatuation.com. You can find them on social media at infatuation, at shmooey, and at house of stang. Am I missing anything? No, you got it all. Okay. Checked all the boxes. You can find me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. If you miss any of our live shows, you can find them archived on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. They are also on Stitcher and iTunes. Thanks to my engineers, David and Pierre. And thanks again to Andrew and Chris. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next Wednesday at 4 o'clock with another live show. Thanks for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Everybody knows.